This is Mission.org. So in order for us to actually be in a position to service the sales team and what they need, the handoff or what I require back from the sales team is good feedback. And so as long as we have that feedback loop coming around, we always will find ourselves having a good relationship. Communication between departments isn't always easy. We often find ourselves buried in our own work and so focused on our deadlines that we forget to check in with each other. If you really want to stand out, have a real conversation with everyone, sales teams, customers, coworkers, everyone who has a part in the success of the company and see what feedback they actually have. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron. And for today's episode, I'm joined by David Malmborg, Vice President of Marketing at Navati. Their company has gone through an amazing pivot. They started working for businesses bringing in massage therapists to physically help people in companies. When the pandemic hit, their services essentially became taboo. With smart thinking and a lot of tips you will learn about in this episode, they were able to pivot to a mental health and virtual service organization. Now they're not only surviving, they are thriving in this B2B ecosystem. All right, enough talking, let's get into it. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. So we'll start with just some fun kind of lightning round questions. Yeah. And then we'll get into some more, you know, you and marketing stuff. So the lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce. For those of you listening for the first time or whether you've been with us for a while, you know or now know that this podcast is sponsored by Salesforce. Uh, When you think marketing and engagement, Salesforce brings those two things together. So if you want to learn more, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing Shout out to our fam at at, at Salesforce. David, first question, lightning round, texting or talking? Talking. I'm not, I'm like a phone novice, actually. I hate email on the phone. Wow. Okay. It's all social media. Uh, I like use a phone for a phone. Okay. Novel concept, right? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. What do you love and appreciate about yourself? So I'd have to say my optimism is is kind of where I'm going to go there. In fact, maybe I'm like overly optimistic where it's a crutch. I've gotten myself in trouble being too optimistic sometimes, but I still embrace it. Hmm. Well, it sounds like you and I are 
similar similarly wired there i share that one with you um what's your favorite day of the week i'm gonna go with a friday it tends to be productive at work i try to knock out a bunch of stuff but then like the enthusiasm of a weekend is just right there which is great indeed okay what's your favorite city in the u.s besides the one you live in so i i just love visiting all the different cities out there. But I'm going to tell you my favorite places are uh, going back to the skiing, like the small town ski towns. Um, we we spend a week every summer in a different ski town. Um, so uh, we used to where we were at uh, what now is Palisades in Tahoe. Oh. Uh, the year before we were in Breckenridge in Colorado. So I just like going to a different ski town and just getting that small town vibe in the mountains. Okay, sweet. I like it. Um, would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? I'm going to say talk to animals only because that feels like a more rare gift. So. <laughs> Dude, well, you're the, you're the second person who's chosen that one. And I've asked it to a bunch of marketing leaders like yourself. Uh, yesterday, yesterday was the first and you were the second. So thank you for that. Here's Google Translate now. Like, I feel like <laughs> it was animals. That's great. I love it. What's your favorite holiday? Uh, uh, Thanksgiving for sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, scale of one to 10, uh, how good of a driver are you? I laugh at this one. Cause if you ask my wife, you're going to get a very different <laughs> answer. Uh, I, I feel pretty confident in my driving quick story though. I, I did this, like I sat in a 30,000, $40,000 car simulator, like racetrack simulator a couple weeks ago. And I sucked like so bad. And so then that really like shot my confidence down a bit. But. Okay. Okay. Finish the sentence, please. Something wise my elders taught me was. Avoid the WWW. Oh. And what that stands for actually is uh, worry, wait, and wonder. Like, wow. Don't make people worry, wait, or wonder when they're trying to talk to you. Wow. Or communicate. I like that. I like that. Where, where, where's that from? Mom, dad, grandparents? Well, that actually is, uh, I give credit. So that comes from one of my first real boss in, in marketing uh, who took a chance on hiring me to begin with. And he's kind of been a mentor. Michael Jand is his name, uh, ran an agency called Riser Media for a long time. And now he actually consults with other agencies on how to do that. So anyways. Uh, That's great. Yeah, I like that. Okay, cool. Would you choose invisibility or super strength? Uh, I'm going to go with super strength. Okay. Um, invisibility sounds a little too creepy for me. So. <laughs> Someone else has also said that exact same thing as well. It's like, yeah. am I getting a little, invisibility is just too much trouble. Let's not, let's just not go there. I'll be strong. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got it. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? No, no. <laughs> like you look at like Beyond Meat is a publicly traded company. Like, so Animal characters mm. is totally fair game. Well said. Okay. If you weren't in marketing leadership, what would you be doing? Something that does not make me sit in front of a computer, like <laughs> something using my hands. Uh, I like history. So archaeology has always been there. Mm. Some sort of engineering, even though that's more computer oriented, but like just building something like mechanical engineering. Okay. Even the military recently has like seemed as my son is growing up, like an option worth considering. I don't know. Mm, okay. Okay. Um, what would you go back and tell your younger self about being a marketing leader? So I think I've actually done this pretty good in my career. I found value in this early on, but when I, when I have young marketers, like, uh, you DMC, this community that we build, I, I have an opportunity to talk to a lot of young marketers. And honestly, the, 
the thing I always go back and tell them to do is uh, find a community, find some peers, talk to people. Marketing feels like one of those spaces where what you know doesn't seem to matter as much as who you know. Uh, most of the jobs I've gotten have come through people that I've known. And uh, it's a skill set that I think most people can actually learn. So talking to people and getting to know the broader community, the business community is going to be a better advantage for you. So that's good. I, I really like that. That's great. Cool. Okay. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. So it, it looks like you joined, you joined the business about, was it a little less than a year ago? Is that right? Yeah. In September okay. last year. So okay. I guess what, seven, eight months in maybe. Okay. So, and I know I saw, and I know there was a kind of a big pivot in the business prior, I guess, was it prior to you joining where there was a, a right. pretty big pivot? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. As I was kind of coming in, actually the pivot started a couple of years ago, right as COVID was hitting. Right. And it's, uh, it's a really incredible pivot story. Uh, Amelia Wilcox, our founder, she was running a company for 10 years now. The company itself has been around for about 10 years. And the way it was built out was a massage therapy company. And uh, they would provide massage therapists to corporate events in office um, and whatnot. She's just amassed a huge group of massage therapists around the country that companies could hire out. And uh, it turned out to be really quite a good company. And lo and behold, COVID hits. And nobody wants massage therapists in their office anymore. Uh, before that actually happened, though, I think there was this idea of continually to drive more services into the office. Um, and Amelia has always been kind of keen on well-being and, and making people happy. And so mental health has been kind of there. So as COVID hit and nobody wanted massage therapists in, we took a lot of those experts and started putting uh, coaching, yoga, meditation, um, which were kind of ancillary skills that our massage therapists had, putting them online into a video library and kind of pushing an opportunity to do one-on-one -on -one booking with different skill sets in the mindfulness and mental health space. And then it kind of just grew from that and we kind of pivoted and now all of our services are really in the lens of mental health and in and improving mental health within the workspace. That's incredible. I saw, I think it was an ink, I think it was ink, yeah. an ink article yeah, about, about the pivot. And just like, I mean, you read about that kind of pivot and it's like, man, the it's just crazy to think your entire business, you know, your whole your whole business model is is placed this one way. Now everything is up in the air and there's there's more of a chance that it's not going to work out than that it is going to work out. And the fact that, you know, she was able to put some of these things in place is, is really interesting. What's really incredible about it is, again, you had to be, so Amelia and I go back, we had a relationship, again, going back to relationships being important. We've been known each other for five, six years, just ah. uh, and, and chatted a long time. So I've watched this whole transition happening and uh, she was doing great as a massage therapist company. Like we had hired her at our DMC events and some other company events that we were putting on and that I was involved with at the time. And I mean, things were growing for her. And since the pivot, like the company now is in a better position to grow larger than it ever was. The valuation of the company, if, if that means anything, is mm -hmm. much bigger than what even the massage that company was two years ago. And so it... It's just been incredible. Not only has the pivot been great, but it's been received well. And the growth of this company and the projection of this company is way further than whatever it would have been as just a massage company. And that's the cool part. Wow. Is there, there's a company called Modern Health. Are you familiar with that company? Yeah. Is it safe to say that it's a competitor or slightly different? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. We we look at Modern Health as, as a competitor. Okay. At the same time, though, it's hard to say. Like the need for mental health and mental health education in this space is so big that like anybody who's tackling this and like we root for everybody in the space, right? So mm-hmm. yes, we're competitive mm-hmm. in the fact that no company's going to hire the both of us. Okay. There are distinctive differences between what they're doing and how we approach mental health. I mean, that's probably what you'd find between most of these mental health companies is everybody has kind of a different approach to it. But, you know, we're rooting for for modern health and all the other competitors, if you want to call them that, in the space, just because the need is so vast um, and the opportunity is so big. So, Wow. So let's talk, talk me kind of through early days of just, you know, first of all, talk me through the opportunity you saw from the outside looking in before you joined. And then if you could maybe just tell a story around your first 90 days and some of the things that you put in place in your first 90 days in the role and yeah, things you noticed. Yeah. So um, I think what really attracted me to this company is, uh, well, I'll back up just a little bit is for the last four or five years previous to this position, you know, I've been on the agency side working with a variety uh, with different marketing agencies. Um, I was managing director for one, and then I moved in to build out a uh, kind of a demand marketing uh, or performance marketing team at another agency that was really well known for their branding. Uh, I did a ton on the e-commerce and even the tourism side in that. But prior to that, I was really big on the B2B side and working with different tech companies. Amelia reached out and asked if I wanted to come back uh, or if I knew anybody that would be a great VP. And I said, yeah, I'm actually thinking of leaving the agency side and coming back in-house. And, and so that way I can run a show from top to bottom. And that's what really attracted me to this specific position is actually the offering. Um, I think one of the things that's hard for marketers over years, right? Like I've been doing it for 15 plus years now, and you just kind of get jaded selling other people's stuff uh, at a point, right? For me, it's always been important that you really believe in what you're selling. And so there's a nobility, I think, um, to what this company is offering in terms of like really helping people address and understand um, mental health and realizing that mental health is is a positive thing. It's, it should be part of your daily routine, just like mm-hmm. diet, uh, you know, doing a walkabout, whatever the case may be. Uh, addressing mental health and mindfulness is also equally important. And so uh, even though it's Amelia's company and whatnot. This is like a product you can really believe in and get behind. And, and that's always been important yeah. to me and what I'm, I've been doing um, as a marketer. And so the opportunity to get into that was great. I think everybody has a personal story around mental health. Sure. And uh, whether, you know, maybe they have a condition one way or another, be it ADHD or depression and anxiety or something, maybe even a little bit worse. Or maybe they don't. They know somebody who might have those conditions um, and it's affected them. And everybody's affected by poor mental health one way or the other. And so, you know, I've got my own personal story. It meant a lot to me to actually get into the space a little bit more. And so when the opportunity came up, I kind of jumped on it. So then going back to your question, as far as like the first 90 days, you know, we we went through a major pivot. We're still working through this major pivot and finding our feet. And so I have the first 90 days was really trying to understand, you know, what is our calling card as uh, a company? Like what makes us different from Modern Health um, since you brought them up versus uh, a lot of these other companies that are kind of popping up in the space? And, and where do we even situate ourselves in terms of something that's a lot more established like Calm, right? 
And so just really getting our feet under us in the first 90 days, understanding where we differentiate, uh, what our position in the space is, why somebody picks us over somebody else was really key. Um, the second thing, and, and this just goes back through my history of variety of companies that I worked with, is uh, understanding the sales process. And so in my first 90 days, I take a lot of time to really understand the sales process and what marketing's role is within the sales process mm. and making sure that that's properly defined. And we've gone through kind of what our life cycle process actually looks like and how do we know when marketing should be the lead contact, if you will, for, uh, for a lead or when the sales is the lead contact point or point of contact. And, and what does that look like uh, when it needs to hand off one way or the other, not just going from marketing to sales, but when it needs to come back to marketing because timing's not right. So mm. is, uh, is the marketing sales alignment there, you know, cause of course that's always an age old topic that gets brought up, you know, in sales circles and marketing circles, sure. but are there things you're doing to align sales and marketing that may be different in the past or things you're learning that are working really well in terms of aligning those two? Yeah. So, so it's always a, a key for me to make sure that there is a strong alignment in marketing sales. In fact, I actually, um, some marketers don't look at it this way. And I've gone back and forth over my career of what this is, but I always look at marketing as really more of an asset for sales, um, especially in a startup phase, right? So sales is incredibly important. And I have put ourselves in a position as a marketing team to really be an asset to sales. So whatever sales needs to close a deal, like I make sure that we are there to do that. But to make this kind of like a working relationship, I also need sales to communicate back to us what is actually happening with a particular lead. Like leads are terrible. Why? Uh, they're not closing at a rate you want. Why? And then how do we like take that feedback? So in order for us to actually be in a position to service the sales team and what they need, the handoff or what I require back from the sales team is good feedback. And so as long as we have that feedback loop coming around, um, I, you know, I think, I think we always will find ourselves having a good relationship. That's good. I've seen some organizations where the SDRs actually roll up to the marketing, the head of marketing versus yeah. sales. Yeah. And I've seen that a couple of times and it's different across the you know, Fortune 500 and beyond, but is that something that is working there? Or so we, we, we are having that debate internally as far as like oh. how SDRs um, should roll out um, as we build out our SDR team. Um, we're also looking at like how channel sales might be different if they require more of a marketing's touch. I've always been a, a believer that marketing should own, if you will, what the communication tactics and or like touch points look like. Like they should have an idea of what touch points should look like in terms of making sure they're on brand or they're, you know, reinforcing our position, everything like that. SDRs are kind of that initial contact point where, where they're actually having a first initial conversation with the company and the brand. And so if, if they roll up to sales, my position is if they roll up to sales, that's fine. But me as a marketer and head of marketing, like I'm listening in on those SDR conversations and yep. I'm very involved with how the SDR presents the company and or represents the company in the conversations that they're having. So even if they're rolling up to them, I make sure that I'm in a position to have very strong feedback in what they are saying and how they are presenting. So if it rolls up to marketing, which totally makes sense, I get that. But I have that same philosophy on customer success as well, right? 
So customer success sometimes will roll up to marketing, which I'm finding to be more of a newer idea. Mm -hmm. But even if they don't, um, customer success should have a, a strong integration with the marketing team in what's being presented, how it's presented and what's being said uh, in terms of just making sure everything is consistent. Mm. So, you know, on the B2B side of things, which I know is is an area that you you like to play in and obviously is still a part of what you're doing now yeah. at the business. And so I think about this in terms of our, our customers as well, like where our customers are large enterprise side, you know, like Salesforce is one of our sponsors. Like, so we typically are working with these large, big organizations where, you know, the B2B buyers are anonymous, fragmented, resistant. A very small percentage, like 5% of them are actually in the process of or wanting to buy it now. Yeah. You know, ABM's this really interesting game we're playing. And I'm just curious to get your perspective on kind of how do you engage and, you know, and sell to this this really interesting B2B, this B2B customer that seems to be very elusive. Yeah. So the way I've always tried to simplify this conversation is, it's pretty common. I think most people understand this concept, but the, what you would call like fit versus timing, right. And understanding where it is. And, and because B2B is very convoluted and, and takes some time to go through, even an active buyer, uh, depending on what it is that you're servicing could take six months before yep. the conversation starts to when it's closing. And what mostly we try to do is really understand what the ideal fit you know, who the ideal customer is. This is why ABM strategies are taking off is because they really define, this is the most perfect fit for our company. And, and that's like a hyper-focused version of a fit conversation. But once you understand what the ideal fit is and who that person is, the next most important thing, again, going back to this feedback loop that I want coming back from sales is a timing conversation. So we are working with database markers on our side to understand that even if the fit is good, you've had a conversation, the fit is good. Like the next thing to really understand is the timing and when is the right timing to do that? And I've always kind of paid, played the more patient game um, and making sure that we are constantly finding ways to get and communicate to this person. So as long as the fit is good and they are okay receiving, you know, communication from us uh, and making that whatever communication is, the content we create, whatever that is of value so that they want to stay engaged, then things will come when the timing's right. Mm -hmm. Now, I, sometimes I don't have the luxury, like we have, we have goals and needs and things like that. And we want to try to force timing. And that's, that may be where I diverge a lot from sales. Sales focuses a lot on urgency and kind of pushing that urgency. Sure. I would recommend they should be doing from a marketing standpoint. My goal is to make sure when timing's right, like we're top of mind. Mm Mm-hmm. That's good. I like that. Do you see any of the, the news articles we put in there? It's like three news articles in there. Yes. If you have an opinion on all three, we can get into all three. I look forward on everything. So we can. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's do it. Okay. So uh, first, first article comes from Media Daily News. It talks about modern marketing is about customer experience at every touch point, building relationships with customers, adapting continuously the new digital landscapes, and marketing across multiple channels to reach different customers. Customer expectations are only increasing and rarely, if ever, will advertisers admit to meeting those expectations. What do you think most customers expect from marketing these days? And what can other CMOs and heads of marketing do to kind of meet the expectation of this kind of changing customer? Yeah, so so it's a 
That's a tough question, but um, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about just a little bit earlier. The reason why I think marketing should have a say in all of these different touch points is because what I think a customer really wants is a continuity in experience, right? And so that continuity and experience has to be excellent. Like, and really that's what they're demanding and asking for. And that goes all the way from like whatever the unboxing event is, uh, you know, and making sure that the product experience is, is amazing, but they actually want that same amazing unboxing and product experience to happen in customer service and even in the sales process. And, and even in the marketing that they get before that. And so I think you had in here like a quote from Steve Jobs about, you know, starting with the customer experience. Yes. Right. And I think that's a, a great way to look at it. But you need to make sure that continuity in messaging and experience is happening all the way from first touch point to the end touch point. And what's really hard, I think, from a marketer is sometimes marketing is just really siloed into gathering leads. And then once we have leads, we throw them over to the sales fence and then boom, whatever happens, happens. Mm -hmm. It's hard if you are in an organization where marketing siloed out like that, because then you can't actually have or be a part of the continuity of the entire experience the customer has. And and the customer who has a very consistent uh, experience from first touch point all the way through the time that they unbox and maybe even buy again, is going to have kind of a, a higher affinity to whatever that brand is. And and that is more valuable. That affinity is, is way more valuable than just the one-time purchase, right? That then goes back to life cycle value or uh, lifetime value and whatnot. That's good. Is there any, is there something, is there anything you can share like specifically about what something you guys have done to support that continuity and support that experience, like changes you've done or shifts you've made to make sure that, you know, someone that's engaging with you is in fact getting a great experience all the way. Yeah. So, so I mean, what we're doing now is from a marketing standpoint, it's really important to me that we as marketers have liaisons to different teams. And so as as I build out my team, um, there's different parts of the team that I have mm -hmm. being a liaison to, uh, the product team, to the sales team, um, to the customer success team. And, and so what we do is make sure that we have a representation, uh, if you will, to each one of those teams. And as conversations happen, uh, they can bring back and we can kind of talk about what that actually looks like. And that goes back into effective communication with the other kind of leaders of, of those different departments. And that's mm -hmm. the role that I take on is making sure I have uh, a great uh, relationship and, and understanding with the, you know, the head of our sales and the head of our product team and customer success team, et cetera. So. Great. I love that. A lot of, lot of mic drop, mic drop knowledge right there, David. I appreciate that. Um, okay. Next uh, we have digital, the digital commerce global summit. They released this trends report saying, the metaverse is here, and by 2027, expect retailers to have invested as much in their presence in virtual worlds as they do in the physical one. Web3 can help brands establish new age loyalty programs and communities while creating a revenue source not tied to the creation of more physical goods. Watch Nike and Starbucks to see where this is headed. Do you think that most consumers will want to head to the metaverse? Are there trends you're seeing you're excited about, etc.? So this one, actually, I have just as many like questions as I think everybody else does. Mm -hmm. In terms of like a marketer's role, what I'm gonna, what I am curious to see is like the two examples in here are Nike and Starbucks, right? Like very mm -hmm. heavy consumer global brands. 
for sure, I think are going to have a space in the metaverse and really be the ones to experiment what you can do with it. What I'm really curious to see is like what a B2B company might actually have. If any, yes. like I don't, I'm skeptical to think that a B2B company is going to have a space in the metaverse. And maybe that's just because I personally don't quite get it. Um, I, I have seen a lot of black mirror episodes on Netflix and I am <laughs> not sure I'm ready to go all into it. <laughs> I get that. As much as an early adopter as I have been in my life uh, on technology, like this is one space where um, I'm starting to really have a personal kind of like backlash towards social media and the effects of social media uh-huh. on society. Uh, and just the internet as a whole, like it, it's, I, I look at what these overarching trends are to humanity and I kind of worry. And so therefore I'm a lot more hesitant to dive into the metaverse personally, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that feels this way. Um, but I do also know that there's a ton of early adopters and definitely the younger generation who's all in for it. Uh, so I think from a business standpoint, those broad, you know, B2C, uh, mass consumer oriented products are going to find a space in there and they're going to probably thrive really well. And I think a majority of what was said in that article is going to come to those particular brands Yeah, and maybe for an older demographic, maybe not as much. So I'm with you on that. Like, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, NFTs in the metaverse, can they be strategic for B2B brands? Like, you know, that's the world that we play in. And I'm, I am curious to, to see how things go. And I mean, look, you guys sit at the intersection of of mental health and supporting, you know, companies and people around around this sort of thing anyway. And so I, I see and feel the hesitancy of like, okay, let's I understand that the world is innovating and changing and let's be careful because a lot of that stuff also, you know, feeds into, you know, supporting or not supporting someone's mental health. And so I, I could totally right. understand why broaching it carefully, being aware of it. You know, we've talked to a lot of brands on this show, big and big and small, and it's interesting to hear you know, they're all sitting at the table, you know, and they're talking about it, right? And they're they're having conversations. I think some are moving a little faster than others, but ultimately it's still kind of an interesting wait and see how things unfold is what I'm finding. Yeah, and I, I feel like there's uh, an ambiguity, if you will, to like, what it what is it going to be even? Uh, right. I, I had right. a conversation a couple, I guess it was a month or so ago um, at a conference we were at. And this guy was trying to tell me the metaverse was actually augmented reality, which was totally different than the definition of what I thought the metaverse was and just being a uh. virtual reality, like a virtual world. And he was telling me, no, the, the augmented reality is actually what the metaverse is and actually bringing in metadata into a real world experience. And I was like, okay, maybe if that's really what the metaverse is going to be. I do think like, I think every marketer's favorite movie is Minority Report and how advertising was so personalized, right? Uh, in that yep. particular movie. And and I think like that overarching, you know, personalization in a augmented reality, like could be actually very fascinating. And that is where I think we could maybe see some really ingenious ways of deploying marketing, if, if that's what it comes out to be. It just feels like everybody is not sure what really the metaverse is. Is it right. a minority report augmented reality experience? Uh, I don't know. Uh, is it NFTs and, and crypto land? Right. Uh, an ownership of something that doesn't actually exist? Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, There's a lot of defining that still has to happen, so. For sure, yeah, that makes sense.
you have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.